What's happening, everybody? This is Andre Reed, 2014 NFL Hall of Famer, and you're listening to The Coffee House. Let's do this. This is Mike Vick, and you're now tuned in to The Coffee House, man. Check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the playoff edition of The Coffee House. I'm your host, Coffee Jones. You're listening on iTunes and SoundCloud, presented by 23K Sports Media. Not this version, training a pair of the new truth. And of course, Downset Eat Catering in the DMV area. I am really excited. The road to Arena Bowl 32 has begun already. I'm not going to keep you long. I just left Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C. Had a good time watching the game. Had a worse time actually trying to break it down and to see what happened and how it ended up with both games of the weekend being 35-plus point spreads. It's going to be difficult for, obviously, the both teams from Monumental Sports that represented the AFL in the Arena Bowl last year to bounce back, being down five scores in this aggregate scoring system going into next week's games. But that's why they play the game. And if they can beat you by 35 the first game, well, obviously, you can beat them by 35 or 36 next game. So we will see, and it will be settled on the field. As daunting as a task as they may be, you're going to need some onside kicks, some bar balls, some tip passes, deflections, and blah, 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 blah. So let's break down the games real quick. Saturday playoffs kick off with some fireworks up there in Albany. Joe Powell runs the opening kickoff back to the house. And this looks like a shocker. I'm not going to lie. If I had put, if I could have put money on the game, I would have took the Baltimore Brigade with the 12 and a half. I would have bet the under, thinking it was going to be a slow, drawn-out game. And for the first half, it pretty much was. Joe runs that opening kickoff back. They missed the extra point. It's becoming problematic in an aggregate scoring system. Every point counts. And it was downhill from there. And from that point on, the offense was just null and void. I guess maybe because they didn't get that opening drive in. You know, there's some something to be said about that. When teams come out, especially in the second half, you'll see it in some games, where a team may get the ball, they'll get the opening kickoff and then maybe a play on defense and maybe another special teams play. And it's a while before they're actually back out on the field following halftime, and there's a little bit of rust there. I don't know if that's the case because it's open in the game, but it sure enough looked like it. Because to start the game, the Baltimore Brigade offense was pretty anemic. I, I, I can't say it no, no, no better. There was no continuity, and the glue guy that they've had and Brandon Collins has been their leading receiver throughout the season candidate for all arena with the numbers that he had put up even though he missed the final game of the season being top six in just about every receiver category I mean top six you only get three and three for all arena that puts him in the conversation whether you like him or not the kid is bought out he's made some big plays and he was the guy to be able to catch those screens those backside hitches those underneath routes to be able to take some pressure and some heat off of a guy like Joe Hills with the attention that he brings well offensively they couldn't get it going and as much as I want to blame Shane Boyd, just like the media and fans and certain other players and former players around the league have been so quick to do, I understand the bigger scheme of things. And the fact that I've stepped out of the game and been on the media side of it that have no really affiliation or bias to anybody, I understand what goes on. And it started off with a lack of offensive continuity, a little bit of good defense. Rob Keefe was going to put his guys in the right positions. 
You won't see too many busted coverages. If you scheme against a Rob Keefe cover defense and you protect it, you'll find some holes, but they're not going to mess them and shoot themselves in the foot. And they got to be the kings at tip drill interception. I mean, that must be two, three periods that they work on. But the guy's got to be in position. I mean, I don't care what you say about a tipped interception. You got to at least be in position to get it. I mean, this ain't Larry Brown in the Super Bowl for the Cowboys. I mean, the guys is right behind him, and they're getting tipped and cheat him. Norris is coming up with all these picks. So with that being said, you got to offensively, one, you got to try to go ahead and feed the studs. And you know, got a couple plays to where Joe drops the passes early on some of those three steps. And then your boy, who I didn't expect to see, I knew a defensive end was a dangerous guy for the Albany Empire, but a guy like Rodney Fritz comes around the corner and gets three sacks on your edge protectors. That's tough for any quarterback. And on that fourth and ten where you're down by 14 points, I believe it was, Shane Boyd was early in the game, and that fourth and ten backed up. Fritz turns that corner. He doesn't even see him, and that ball gets stripped right out of his hand. It ended up happening three different times in that game where Fritz gets strip sacks. If you can't protect and your offensive game plan is somewhat predictable for the opposing coaches, stuff is going to be pretty much locked up. Quarterbacks going to have to throw it harder into tighter windows, and then those hot passes get tipped off of hands, and those interceptions, and it just, it just snowballed out of hand. On the other side of it, I've said a lot of different things, and it's been clear that Malachi Jones has been the best wide receiver in the Arena Football League. But listen to what I say here. I think... Quentin Sims is the best arena football wide receiver. Now, I don't know if y'all caught that when I tweeted it out the other day, but I think the best receiver that can play arena football is Quentin Sims. I think the best overall wide receiver, and you'll soon see that within the next three weeks, hopefully after August 12th, when Malachi Jones gets signed back to the NFL. The interest is already peaked by a lot of teams. You see people going down all the time. I wish the Bengals would pick him up because my boy A.J. Green just can't stay healthy. Go ahead, put Malachi out there and see what you can do, Andy Dalton. But I think his talent is just it just surpasses this league. I'll just be honest with it. And if you talk about, you know, the, the NBA, you want to talk about some of the best uh, point guards in the league. If you want to mention Steph and, and Chris Paul or whoever, John Wall and his guys, well, I mean, I guess you could say LeBron's the best player in the league, and he kind of plays point guard, if you get what I'm saying. Like, Malachi's a special talent, no doubt, but a guy that knows the arena football game that I've watched time in and time out bail quarterbacks out of coverage, uncover in the red zone where it's the toughest place to find space and room to work, it's been Quentin Sims. And and, and it's it's just not fair at some point. I mean, I'm just watching Tommy Grady take pressure, and Dexter Jackson, Justin Lawrence coming down the middle, and he just drifts back and just finds a way to give his receiver enough time to get his feet set and to show off that vertical leap, and Sims just jumps over a dude's backs and dunks on him. Like, it's just, it's, it's not fair. Because I know they've had it covered right. These are solid, solid guys back here. These ain't no scrubs. It's Victoria, Joe Powell, even the kid Martin. I mean, these are some guys that they've been playing in this number one defense in the league, and Sims lights them on fire. So that game is blown open. Don't know what they're going to do. There was a quarterback change coming out of halftime for Baltimore. It's going to be a tall mountain to climb. You're going to have to start it off. You're going to have to take the ball first. You're going to have to win the toss, take the ball first. You're going to have to score, get a bar ball, get an on. You're going to need a bo- two bar balls and an onside kick and one stop. Now, the hardest part of that, I think, 
is the onside kick. I think the kicker is pretty good at you know hitting the bar. A lot of kickers have hit the bar. Now, can you recover that? The onside kick's been a little bit less successful. But that's a 35-point margin, and we'll see what happens down in Baltimore next Saturday. Now, fast forward to the game that I just left. And this game started off kind of in the same fashion. The road team goes down, scores early on. So go up, missed X point six zero. I'm like, oh man, where have I seen this recipe before? Well, the difference is a lot of teams have talent right now. And if you think back two years ago, with the Philadelphia Sogo 15-1, and they run shop all the way through the league. They just come off a, a season where they dethroned the big bad powerhouse in the Arizona Rattlers on the road to win their second arena bowl in franchise history. And you come back, the league gets condensed, and you've got a surplus of talent that's coming back. And you just run through everybody. You go 15-1, and one, get tested a little bit in the Arena Bowl against Tampa. You pull it out. You know, Alvin Ray Jackson makes a nice pick six, and it looks scary for a minute there. And You know, that's probably about as close as Ron James has come to having arena bowl title and a victory over Clint Dozell in a long time and Philly all of a sudden is looking like the king of the hill but then as the league comes back and starts to expand a little bit pick up a couple more teams the talent is spread out some other teams have enough talent to match Philadelphia but what Philly still has that nobody else has is an offensive mind like Clint Dozell. And I say this because I've been around just the NFL films, being around Jaws, and I understand the difference between an offensive coordinator and a quarterback coach. And I've seen it firsthand here with the Eagles, with Carson Wentz. It's one thing to tell a quarterback, hey, if you're running sail route, you hop up on one step, you read that front side corner. If he's off, you throw the wall route. But it's another thing to be able to show him how to do it. To tell him you can't take a full three-step. You're going to be late. You're going to have to wind up. That DB's going to come flying back downhill. You're going to throw a pick. Or you're going to throw it late and behind that sail route. And that middle guy's going to undercut it. And Clint Dozell has been the biggest, biggest factor of the success of the Philadelphia soul because he understands how to teach the quarterback position for one he also understands how to manipulate coverages because he's also the defensive coordinator now with all that being said if you look around when you mix good coaching with elite talent you get something special everybody knows me I'm a Spurs fan that's when the Spurs had elite talent that coaching it was something special when they had mediocre talent that coaching kept them around they keep, they keep you around. They get you in the playoffs. The Bulls the same way. And when Mike left, they still had decent talent. Still, Phil was still there. Scotty was still there. They won a lot of games, 55 games or something like that. But it's something special when you add the talent into it. And when you add arguably the best middle guy in the game, former DB of the year, one of the best backside corners of the game, one of the long rangy and starting to show up and make some plays all around the field, front side corners in the game that I think could be an NFL caliber guy if he stays healthy and continues to play well, may be able to get a shot this offseason. And the pass rush still hasn't been that Bo Bell, Justin Lawrence, 2016-15 uh, 
17 pass rush, but it's been effective enough. And they did some good things tonight, mixing in the pass rush, staying in their lanes with the coverage on the back end that was just blanketing receivers. Strap City was back. I can't say it no, no different. Yes, Roe gets three pick. A couple of them were tip balls, but he's right there. I mean, I watched the fourth and 12 conversion. Reese runs a nice dig route on him. Catches it in front of him, but Rose right there within arm's reach. So when that ball gets tipped out of his hand, a few drives later, that ball lands right in Romaine's hand. It is no secret why this defense is as effective as they are because their coverage is pretty darn good. No offense, no offense to nobody else. Th- them three guys can cover back there. And you mix in a jack linebacker that's active and athletic and wants to run around and make some plays, that's pretty tough to deal with. Now, when we flip it on the other side, since I got my IRS tax return the last time I seen money come back like this. And Darius Money Reynolds got to start again at the wide receiver position. The full start, not just a plate here and there. You know, he was banged up with a little bit of injury earlier this season. Trying to figure out a way to get him healthy. Offense was was was, was seeming to do all right. If, if you're looking at a healthy B.J. Bunn and Jordan you know, Williams and Lonnie Outlaw and, and money's at 50, 60 percent, whatever you want to call it. And he's still hobbled. Who do you want to go to as a coach? Well, that's the coach's decision to make. It's a tough decision. But when money's healthy enough to go, you got to at least play him or try to. They worked it out to put him in a jack. It's tough to dress six receivers. They got by with it. They got out of the three game skid, got themselves into the playoffs, clinched the spot. And now. They're looking like the old Philadelphia soul. And let me tell you why. This team with Money Reynolds in motion is scary. People are scared of them. And I'm not talking about like fearful to the point where you want to, you know, people may be scared of LeBron, play boxing one, like they did on Steph Curry and all this. No, 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 no. Coverage has changed. I've sat down. I've looked at film. I've been sent film and tapes. You know the people that I talk to all across the league. And the last time Philadelphia played against the Washington Valor, they lost at home. And the Valor played man-to-man defense for the majority of that game. I'm talking 90% of that game. And now that Fred Obie's been back, I watched them a couple weeks ago when they played Baltimore. They played man-to-man defense. And knowing the Philadelphia Soul wide receiving core before today, they felt confident enough to play man-to-man on them again. And that eliminates what everybody knows Clint Dozell and Dan Rodabaugh love to do and nick and dime you down the field, taking the wall routes five or six yards, keeping the fullback and screen game involved. But if you play man-to-man you pressed up and you locked up on those guys, those routes are pretty much null and void. Now you got to make some tough throws against a tough middle guy. And if it's Jordan Williams, some speed, take the top off the roof, guys. B.J. Bunn, the guy that's still learning the game. Lonnie Outlaw, that's some straight line, big body target, more of the red zone, not open field guy. Against a veteran like Fred Obie as Washington with the arguably the greatest jack linebacker of all time, you take your chances with that. But when number seven comes in the game and that guy goes in motion, see, Dan knows one thing. Clint knows it too. Not a lot of people want to tackle that guy. With a running head start from 12 yards deep. And you're flat-footed trying to break up from one or two steps. That's not fun. That's not a day at the picnic. 
So you can't play your regular back pedal, you know, 10, 12 yards off, pedaling and weaving, because Dan will pop up and throw it to him early before he even hits the line of scrimmage and let him get rolling. Before your jack can get there, before your D-line can get off. And now you got to come ta- tackle this dread-headed monster. I call him Julio Jones. Because <laughs> no, he, 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 he's, he's physical. He's going to run hard. So now when I watch Buddy Reynolds come in motion, the first big play he makes down the field, it's in help coverage. It's in a zone coverage. And that let me know right there that they respect that man. Maybe not fear is the bad word, but they respect him enough not to lock up man-to-man because that's a guy that could beat you because he's ran through the league and won three straight titles doing it. Two in Philly, one in San Jose. That guy's a game changer. And when they start playing zone against a Dan Rodabot team, oh, well, that makes the life even easier because the D-line don't know when the ball is coming out. Dan's going to pop up right now and look. And be ready to throw. And money comes back with a vengeance. Eight catches, 115 yards, three touchdowns. Prince over 125 and two. Yeah, he got one late. You know, score was pretty much in doubt. But, you know, you're running up the score because it's an aggregate scoring system. But the Philadelphia Soul offense, bringing money Reynolds back, changed somewhat of the game plan that I've seen this season against Philly from the Washington Valor point of view. Now, maybe some personnel changes had to do with that, but it's different. They're not playing as much man as they used to, and it's costing them. Bunny got open a lot in some zone and some underneath routes. Seen Bun catch a couple. There was a lot of stuff going on, and that's the stuff that made Prince a star, made Wash uh, uh, an emerging star. And Clint loves to be able to scheme that type of stuff. He's got tricks for days, and he can teach his quarterback how to do it. The line doesn't have to hold up that long. Then you can sneak in to run a screen game. This is going to be very tough for Washington to climb out of this hole, especially with the new scoring system, especially as smart as Dan is. He's not going to snap the ball above five seconds in this next game. They're going to kick it deep. There's not going to be any short fields. There's not going to be any deep routes. There's going to be a lot of zone and help and, and loose coverage. This clock is going to continue to run. If you're a gambling person, I would bet the under in both games. Probably take the underdog with the points. To keep it close, but it's a 35-point margin. It's, I, I really don't see any either team making that up unless somebody makes a, just some monumental blunders. Bar balls, stupid penalties, somebody gets kicked out, injuries, whatever. This is going to be tough for Washington and Baltimore to get to the arena ball this year. Which possibly could set up, you know, <laughs> and all Jaws Arena Bowl. You know, Monumental, hey, look, Leon's has had his Arena Bowl last year. Well, you know, let, let Jaws live some this year. Everybody share the wealth. And as we expand, and they announce who the expansion teams are, then we can move on. Somebody else can get some love. But it's going to be interesting to see next weekend. But the next time I come to you, I'm going to tell you my predictions for all arena. It's going to be a good one. I'm going to tell you who the players have picked and respected. Because I polled a lot of players. I didn't tell any player to pick anybody from their own team or themselves. They had to pick other people. And that's how the players, the people that do vote, that's how they got to vote. Now, I don't have a vote. I never have, never will. But I want to hear what the players have said about their peers. And then I'm going to predict what I think the media is going to say when those when those announcements come out, hopefully this coming week. But it's the coffee house. It's playoff time. I'm glad you're listening. Jordan Kelsey, I love y'all.